Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night. My hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's a half Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I'm Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow tonight. We are breaking down the Quaker State 400 from the Kentucky Speedway, talking about it all. Martin Truex Jr. won his 19th career race, dominated the event, uh, won all, all the stages, and took the checkered flag at the end. It was his 19th career win. We'll dive into that. Alex Bowman, big wreck on lap 111, put him now on the cusp of making the NASCAR playoffs here with just a few races to go before we get to the playoffs. Plus, News at Hendrick Motorsports, Casey, uh, Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss will be together for another two years. The duo has had 83 wins together and seven championships. Will they add to that? We'll wait and see. And rumors about the 95 car and Levine Family Racing for next season. We'll dive into that. Plus, Xfinity Truck Series Racing from Kentucky. And a quick preview of the Eldora Derby on Wednesday at Eldora Speedway in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Taking your phone calls, 917-889-8280 here talking in circles. Martin Trix Jr. won. He won both stages. Uh, what they call a sweep of the event, John. A great weekend for that 78 team. A team that had yet to win on a mile and a half track all year long. People kind of wondering, well, is the 78 team where they were a year ago? Can they win the championship? Well, that was a statement race for Martin Truex Jr. and Furniture Racing. What were your thoughts there on Truex's dominance on on Saturday night? Well, um, it was a little different than last year because sometimes people, I mean, there was some tire strategy that was working. It would go 25, 30 laps, Truex and his four tires ended up getting by him. But, I mean, there was times where it looked like there were other cars who could outrun Truex. I mean, 25 laps, 30 laps, if they could have um, a yellow would I mean, you saw Brad Keselowski do it, and he pulled away. I mean, clean air was something to be had at Kentucky, and especially with it being about a groove and a half wide. Uh, they used a tire dragger to move it up some, but, I mean, they got about a groove and a half on Saturday night. They didn't have a full two. And, but, Truex, I mean, nobody's won a stage there since they started stage racing these past two years. Truex dominated. And it was fun when you listen to the post-race interviews. You heard Truex talking about Harvick and Kyle Busch. You heard Kyle Busch talk about Harvick and Truex. You heard Harvick talk about Kyle Busch and Truex. It's like that's, those are the three that talk about each I mean, All they talk, think about is what the other one's doing. Truex is caught up. I mean, he's got 25 bonus points now. Kyle Busch with 30, Harvick with 27. It's going to be a shootout between those three and whoever may be the fourth whenever we get to Homestead at the end of the year. Yeah, and that fourth driver's up for interpretation. You know, it seems like every week somebody kind of rears their head and shows some speed this week, uh, speed that week. Um, consistency has been there. I think Larson put a, a good statement together uh, at the end of that race on Saturday night at Kentucky, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But, you know, Truex dominating him. There's nothing else you can say. Cole Pern's a great crew chief. Um, you know, there was no doubt. I think early in the year they were behind the four. They were behind the 18. Um, and they showed they showed this weekend. You know what? It was a, we got this. And Kentucky's probably one of Truex's best racetracks. Went out there and really did a great job uh, in winning that race. Ryan Blaney finished second. A great run for Ryan Blaney. Uh, this is a team that has uh, we saw a lot of speed early from in early in the year, and they seem to sort of hit a hit a wall in the middle of the year where they just never really seemed to get out of their own way um, and never really had a strong race. Well, Saturday night it was that race. They were up in the top three, top four all night long. Ended up finishing in the second position. Uh, a great run for Ryan Blaney. Brad Keselowski, 
a driver who a lot of people were sort of scratching their head about in the middle of that race going, what's going on with Brad? This is usually his best racetrack. Um, this two team runs really, really good here. What's going on with Brad Kozlowski? They make a, a great pit call in the middle of that run, in the middle of that race. Paul Wolf gives Brad Kozlowski two tires. Kozlowski gets some track position. He keeps it. I don't think the two or the 20 or the 12 uh, had anything for the Toyota of Martin Truex Jr., but a nice, nice race for Blaney and Kozlowski. Maybe they've closed the gap on a four. Maybe they even closed the gap on the 18 as they beat both of them on Saturday night. What were your thoughts there on uh, the, the two, and really the three team Penske cars? All four team Penske cars had speed. Logano went 10. Menard ran in the top 10 for a majority of the night. So a nice night for Team Penske at Kentucky Speedway. It was a good night for Team Penske. Uh, Blaney with the second finish, Keslowski finishing third. And Keslowski's comments after the race was interesting because he was saying, We can see the tunnel right now. It seemed like that Team Penske was just a hair off, and it seemed like they're getting better. Hervick, uh, at the end of the race, basically said, I hate coming to Kentucky, Kentucky racetrack. He hates it. He doesn't do well. That was first talk off. He listened to Kyle Bush and kept the race. You would have thought they finished 25th and 26th, not 4th and 5th. But it was a good night for Team Penske. I mean, Blaney had something. He he hit on something toward the end. Kozlowski with the big call by Paul Wolf to get him track position. He didn't lose it after he got up there. Logano was decent most of the night. Paul Menard had a great run. If you look at how he made 32 points to get himself in the conversation of possibly making the playoffs because of Alex Bowman's accident. So it was a huge hard last night. Um, it's great to see Team Penske sort of get up there and say, we are here and make it somebody other than Truex, Harvick, and Bush. And Boyer here and there, and Larson, if he can driver's meeting on, I mean, make the driver introduction on time and not have his track bar fall apart. Larson had a great run. I mean, the the move that Chad Johnson made at the end of just wedge crazy and not worry about the track because it was, and he drove through the field and got back into the top ten, considering he came out of the pits twenty eighth. Yeah, I tell you that was a great move, and you know I think something that was you know, uh, underrated on that was the the run that Eric Jones had. And, and I know Eric Jones um, wasn't very happy with this race car, and, and he won last weekend at a play track um, at Daytona. So that's a lot different. It's a lot different medium than what we run even at Kentucky or anywhere else in the Cup Series. But maybe that brought a little bit of momentum to, to his way because he was in the top ten all day long, and he wasn't thrilled with his race car. It makes you think, like, well, what would have happened if Eric Jones was really happy with his race car? Where would he have run? Uh, a solid day for him in seventh. Kurt Busch uh, led 45 laps, showed some speed. He did a nice job finishing the sixth spot. Eric Amarola, Stuart Haas Racing, three cars in the top uh, ten this weekend. A, a nice job by Eric Amarola, too. And you talked about Larson. I think Larson had the move, had the uh, really the fastest race car at the end of that race. Him, his crew chief made the move of the race because it looked like, you know, he restarted that, that last restart on the tail end of the lead lap, which would have put him about 22nd and worked his way up to ninth. And, it, and everybody was complaining all night of how hard it was to pass, how track position was, was so key, yada, yada, yada. And Larson was able to go up there and pass these guys like they were standing still. Um, I think if there was 50 more laps, he might have gotten into the top five. I don't know if he had enough for Truex at the end, but he certainly was a top five race car. Um, came from the back, like you said, twice. He, he started in the rear because of a, a missing driver intros, which I don't know how he did, but um, – he did it, so he missed driver intros, had to start in the rear of the field, worked his way up, was in the top 15 before the end of the first stage, uh, really had a fast race car in a credit one bank Chevrolet, and to lose your track bar in the middle of that race and not have it at all, where all these other drivers are in, in that car, have the advantage of adjusting the track bar any way you want uh, on those last 50 laps, and Larson didn't have the advantage of that and still pass all these guys. It just shows you the type of skill, the type of team that Chip Ganassi racing their 42 car is. And maybe Larson put in, you know, this is a thing to get this season going. He hasn't won a race yet. He's been very, very close to winning some races. But he's not really in the conversation with Harvick, Bush, or Truex. Maybe this will start to get him in there, get the momentum going. I thought a huge statement race for Kyle Larson that he was able to come to the back twice and lose his track bar and still finish in the top ten. What a run for Larson, no doubt about it. 
917-889-8280. Here talking circles, Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow here with you. Yeah, I mean, I just think, John, it was a, a huge statement race for Kyle Larson there to come up there and uh, lose the track bar when everybody else has it. Uh, a, an unbelievable uh, finish in, in the ninth spot for Kyle Larson. It was a great Larson, one of the things you think about with him, he grew up driving sprint cars, and they have one adjustment they can really make in the car, and that's move the wing up and down. And a lot of times, I mean, the, the sometimes the wing breaks on that where you can't move the wing up and down. And you've got to go and find your groove, find where the other cars aren't, find a way to make your car go. And Larson's one of the best in the series at finding a place where other cars don't go. And you look, he was actually trying to make a second groove happen and came pretty close to getting it done. I mean, as the race worked, as the race uh, went on, Larson kept going higher and higher on the track and being able to pass people. And that's something Larson does that very few can do. I don't know how much of it was Chad Johnston being able to adjust and make the car uh, where it was drivable with putting the wedge in with the track bar being broke. I think a lot of that is the talent in the seat. Kyle Larson is one of those drivers. I mean, you look at, if you want to say who the great wheelmen are in this sport now, I put Kyle Larson in the top five without a doubt. I mean, he can drive anything, any place. He's the guy that, I mean, you look, we could probably put him in IndyCar right now, and he'd finish top 10 in his first race. He reminds me a lot of A.J. Foyt, a lot like Tony Stewart. I mean, you look, he can He'll go in, put put himself in a sprint car on Wednesday night, and go out and beat the world of outlaws. Who that's all they do. He'll go out and he runs for Ganassi in the uh, 24 hours and holds his own. He's done great in everything he's driven in. Kyle Larson, if he wanted to, could probably get in a piece of junk truck on Wednesday night at Eldora and put himself in the top five. I think Kyle Larson's that good of a driver. Yeah, I think it definitely was on display. At Kentucky, like you said, it was tough to pass. Everybody said track position was key, and it wasn't a lot of ways. But Larson was able to pass people and, and get to the front from the rear twice. So uh, a great job by him uh, there. 11th was Paul Menard, Clint Boyer 12th, Chase Elliott 13th, Jimmy Johnson 14th, Daniel Suarez 15th, Denny Hamlin 16th, Jane McMurray 17th, David Reagan 18th, Matt Kenza 19th, William Byron was 20th. That's your top 20. A couple of guys in that field where I was a little disappointed. Clint Boyer was one, and – I think it's a good thing for Clint Boyer when we look at 12th and say a little disappointed in that because it just shows you how good of a year he's had in that 14 car. But he wasn't really a factor all night, John. He he was really kind of 12th to 15th all day long, never really got in the top 10 much. Um, so I think he was a little disappointed with that run. Chase Kelly at the same deal, Andrew B. Johnson, same deal there. Chase was about 11th place car all day, could not get in the top 10, couldn't, couldn't really get any stage points. Jimmy Johnson, the same deal. Hendrick Motorsports, again, shows you they're way behind. William Byron in 20th. Alex Bowman had issues. He, he made a, they made a great pick call, but uh, the car was tight, it looked like, and blew a bead in the tire and crashed and hit the wall on lap 111 and put him in the dead last. But another tough day for Hendrick Motorsports. Another team that stands out as a tough day, Richard Childress Racing. Nowhere to be found this weekend at uh, Kentucky Speedway. They qualified okay. Newman was 10th. Austin Dillon, 13th. They end up 21st to 22nd. Uh, just another rough night for Richard Childress Racing there at Kentucky Speedway. Ty Dillon, who's got a close association with that team, he finished uh, in a 29th position, four laps down. So uh, I'll tell you, it just seems like wherever whatever's going on at Richard Childress Racing has continued. Um, these were new race cars for him, and, and boy, oh, boy, uh, just a, another tough day for them and another tough day at Hendrick Motorsports as well, John. I think there's something about the Camaro. I mean, whenever they came out with it, again, they came out with the rule package. They built it for the 2017 rule package. And the way they changed the underneath of the car this year just threw Chevy for a whack. I mean, nobody's been close. The only Chevy you've ever – we've even talked about most of the year is Larson. And, again, I don't think it's car. I think it's Larson. I think Larson is that good a driver. Um, Jimmy Johnson's been around so long that he's used to a certain feel and Chad can't give it to him right now. And you're not getting much feedback from William Byron because 
He's still learning what the car will do. He doesn't know. I mean, I bet he goes into the competition and doesn't say much because he doesn't know what, I mean, he doesn't know what to say to him because he's not sure. He's learning the car as they go. I think there's something with the design of the Chevy, with the Camaro that they came up with expecting it to be last year's rule package and what they put underneath the front of the car and the way they had the splitter, the way they changed the no ride height. I think that messed Chevy up, and I think they're going to be tweaking all year long just to try to be respectable for the last half of the season. Yeah, listen, I just, I mean, it's it's apparent. I mean, one Chevrolet in the top ten was, which was Larson, and probably should have finished a lot higher than ninth. But man, oh man, it was not a very good night at all. And um, McMurray struggled this year. I, I don't think he's any. Uh, let me see where he is in points. I, I think he just he's twenty first. Um, so he's had a tough year. Byron's 22nd right now. Just a, a tough, tough year for those guys. And, you know, you just think with, with 18 races, 19 races under the belt, that these guys would find a little bit of speed, um, but they haven't been able to do that yet. And it's just now you're getting to the point where you sit there and go, is this going to be the whole year for Chevrolet? Are they not going to be able to find speed? You can basically write off everybody in the Chevrolet camp to win a championship other than Kyle Larson, if that's the case. So, um, We'll see. I mean, the season goes on, you have to keep on going and keep on working. But that was the last mile and a half race until the playoffs. And uh, Chevrolet really, really uh, did not show up at all. The real interesting Chevrolet of the day was Alex Bowman. Uh, 108, I said 111, it was lap 108 where Alex Bowman crashed, blew right front tire, hit the wall hard, ended his day. uh, And he was right on the cusp there of making the playoffs, which is where he is now after 19 races. Um, you know, Dylan, who's 18th in points, won the Daytona 500. He's already locked into the playoffs. So that puts the cutoff point at 15th, where Alex Bowman is right now. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is nine points behind him. And then uh, 14 points behind Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is Paul Menard. Menard's 11th place finish. And Stenhouse, who, listen, no doubt he had a tough day. Whatever happened early on in that race, uh, he had a skirmish there with another driver. Uh, blue right front tire. They had another issue. They had to come down and pit. He could not get his laps back. He finished one lap down, was able to take a wave around near the end and get another lap back. But he finished 26, and you say, well, 26 isn't a great run. But he salvaged it. He could have ended up 34th, and he wouldn't have gained a ton of points on Alex Bowman. So he gained 10 points on Alex Bowman and puts him into a – 11 points on Alex Bowman and puts him into a very, very good spot here as the season goes along. Now, Stenhouse is going to have to figure it out a little bit. I like his mentality this weekend. Uh, you know, when you look at what Kyle, what happened with him and Kyle Busch, I think what he said and what he did to Kyle Busch was unbelievable. Uh, if I was Jack Roush, I'd be thrilled with his comments. You know, to not get pushed around by Kyle Busch and not take not somebody who is with a much better race team and not let you intimidate him, not let you push, push you around. I think Stenhouse's mind frame, is, he's in the right mind frame here to make these playoffs. Roush is going to have better race cars. Um, but I thought Stenhouse and that team, they could have panicked. They could have done crazy stuff, but they went out and finished 26, which is a great run. But they were at least able to gain a, lot, a significant amount of points on Alex Bowman, who crashed on lap 108, John. I actually think that uh, Stenhouse wound up getting a little bit of payback for Daytona because you look at how that ended up with him getting the tire blown. Somebody came up and sort of rubbed him on the side, and he wound up crashing into Day- Daytona last week. And I guess it was sort of a little payback to say, okay, we know what you did. We're going to get you. It's not going to kill you, but we're going to get you. And here you go. Your day's messed up. But his team came back, fought, got the 26th place finish. They couldn't get all their laps back, but, I mean, they did get down to one lap to go with 26. And he made up points. I mean, when Alex Bowman finishes 39th, you finish 26. You pick up 13 points, no matter how bad a day you're having. His day was worse, and now he's only nine points out of making the final playoff spot. Like we said, we were talking last week about pretty much you could set the field now for the playoffs. Well, with Alex Bowman having the bad day that they had, we can't set the field because Bernard's in striking distance, 14 points back. Um, You have Stenhouse nine points back. It's going to turn into a race for that last playoff spot because right now, uh, Bowman's what 52 points behind 14th place and Bowman believe it or not has been the most consistent Hendrick Motorsports car 
got one bad day and it really kicked him in the butt. Yeah, and it just shows you that they never really had that amazing run all year long in that 88 car. They've just been consistent, like you said. 15, top 15s, they've been racking off all year long. Never really had that third or fourth place. I don't even think he has the top five this year, Bowman, if memory serves me correct, um, on that 88 car. But they've been pretty consistent. But when you get to that spot where you don't have that amazing race and amazing finish and a lot of points, um, you get to a situation where if you have a bad day, you know, it could really hurt you. And excuse me, he finished fifth at Bristol Bowman, so he doesn't have a top five this year. But he doesn't really have that race where he gained a lot of points. Um, so, you know, it's going to hurt you. And, you know, basically you just equaled Bristol out, so you've got to rely on your other finishes. And Hendrick isn't where they, are, where they were. There's no doubt about that. We've talked about it at length this year. Um, and I just think you look at it and you say, they're going to have to fi- figure it out and pick it up. Um, we'll see Senate. You know, the, the only good thing he's got on his side – Bowman and Chase Elliott are the fact that New Hampshire is not a great racetrack for Rosh Fenway. And then after New Hampshire, we go to Pocono, which isn't a great racetrack for Stenhouse. Then it's the road course, which Stenhouse is in a great road course at Watkins Glen. Then it's Michigan, which he should run pretty good. Bristol's a pretty good run. And then Darlington. But by the time you get to that point, the chase is pretty much, um, you know, you have to figure it out. So the Rocky's got a bunch of great racetracks coming up for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He's got three racetracks where you kind of sit there and go, eh, you're okay at. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Paul Menard, the same way, uh, gained 33 points on Bowman this weekend. That'll put you right where you need to be. So uh, uh, another weekend where you say, hey, um, the playoffs aren't set yet. You never know what can happen in this sport. we still got seven races to go until the playoffs. So uh, we'll see. 917-889-8280, Talking Circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow, Anything else from the Cup race this weekend at Kentucky, John, that stood out to you as far as a driver who ran really good, uh, somebody who who struggled badly? Uh, What else else did you see this weekend at Kentucky that that caught your interest? The one thing that surprised me that we normally never see is Kyle Busch sucked on restarts. Usually Kyle Busch is one of those ones, no matter where he's in, if he's in the top groove, low groove, whatever it is, he finds a way to get himself going on a restart. And Kyle Busch could not get going. I mean, every time you looked, he's falling through the field quick. And then he got to the point where it's like, okay, I'm not even giving up my lane. Whoever's behind me is going to have to deal with it and either knock me out of the way or just put the brakes on and deal with it because this is where I'm going to be. Because you saw three or four restarts where Kyle Busch would be on the bottom roof. And by the by the end of the front stretch, he or by the time they hit the back stretch, he got pushed up into a middle groove and started dropping like a rock. And Kyle Busch is normally one of the restarters in the Cup Series. So it's something that they haven't had to deal with. And one of those things, like Harvick said at the end of the race, Kentucky's a one-off. This track doesn't show up again. It's not in the playoffs. It's different from every mile and a half they run in the playoffs. It really doesn't give you a good notebook for what they're running in the playoffs for the mile and a half. So basically it's like, okay, take your lumps. Be happy with a fourth or fifth place finish. Truex didn't get too much on you, except for the uh, the stage, the seven stage. I mean, the seven playoff points that he got for winning the race in the two stages, but he didn't get that much on you to get past you and everything. They're still neck neck. They're all neck and neck whenever it starts coming to playoff time. But it's just interesting to see Kyle Busch fall like a rock at restarts, and he never does that. Yeah, a couple of things that stood out to me from this weekend other than the stuff we talked about real quick, was Matt Kansas. I thought the six car had one of its better weekends of the 2018 season. He was in the top 20 all day. Ended up 19th. Probably should have finished a little bit better than that. He was probably about a 16th or 17th place car all day. So, um, you know, so not a great weekend for for that six car. I wouldn't sit there and say they're back. But I think certainly a step in the right direction. Um, so I think that that's certainly one thing. Um, and, I, again, I you know, I think when you look at what David Reagan did this weekend, he had a pretty good weekend as well. Um, and maybe it's the fact that Ford has an advantage with this new package that you see the, the Rast cars uh, run a little bit better than the other Chevrolet teams that they're supposed to run against. Maybe that's got something to do with it, but I thought Kansas had a really a, a much better weekend than what we've seen from that six car um, the rest of the season. So, hey, another 
an interesting news this week regarding Chevrolet, regarding the top-tier Chevrolet teams at Hendrick Motorsports, and then top team, you can argue, at Hendrick Motorsports with the 48 car and Jimmy Johnson in that team. Uh, Chad Knauss, who's been the crew chief with Jimmy Johnson since 2002, will return to that car in 2019 and 2020, a two-year deal. They've won 83 races together, seven championships. Knauss is back, proving my theory wrong, John. I thought Knauss was out at the end of the year. I thought the magic was gone, but here they are, um, going at it again for the next two years. To me, it shows a confidence in on both parties that Knauss thinks Hendrick Motorsports is going to find it, and it shows a confidence in Hendrick Motorsports that they haven't lost any uh, belief that Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss have lost any magic, that they might, what you talk to, uh, they might believe it's the Camaro, the reasons for their struggles, uh, and not Chad and Jimmy, because I think they would have maybe suggested, hey, let's go in another direction, but here they are again going at it for the next two years. So uh, I think it's a, a confidence boost for each other on both sides, that both sides really trust each other here, John. I think it's one of those things that Chad and Jimmy have been together so long that it would take forever for Chad to get another driver to where he knows like, like he does with Jimmy. And I don't think Jimmy's going to find a crew chief that he feels is comfortable having him in his ear as he does with Chad. Um, Chad knows what Jimmy's thinking. Jimmy, Jimmy and Chad can finish each other's sentences. I mean, you look, we've had the Jimmy and Chad in the same sentence together since 2002. And you look, some of the most successful crew chief driver combinations, whenever they split, it's never been that great. I mean, go back to Tony Stewart and Greg Zipidelli. It took a little while whenever Tony went to start his own team. It took a little while for Darian Grubb to get his wherewithal under him, but they wound up putting it together. And then Tony got rid of Darian Grubb and Tony's career went into a spiral. Steve Addington wasn't the guy. Chad Johnson wasn't the guy. I mean, matter of fact, Tony even said, we told Chad to go find another job because I don't want to ruin his reputation as a crew chief. He wound up finding Kyle Larson and they've had magic together. Um, some of your best crew chief, I mean, you look when Mark Martin and, um, oh, Steve well, Neal. Mark Martin and Jimmy Fennick, Mark Martin and Steve Meal. I mean, some of those great crew chief driver combinations, whenever they break up, they're not that great. I mean, whenever Daryl went to drive for, um, he left Junior Johnson and Jeff Hammond to drive for um, Hendrick and had uh, Waddell Wilson as his crew chief. Didn't work. Mm-hmm. And they wound the up. Dream team, right? yeah. yeah. They got Hamp. I mean, uh, uh, Jeff Hammond back over to Hendrick Motorsports, and then Daryl picked up again. It just, it's one of those things. If you find the right driver crew chief combination, if they can stay happy together, you've got a winner because it's going to take another. I mean, you pretty, pretty much, when Ray Evernham left Jeff Gordon, how long did it take him to get comfortable? I don't think he ever got comfortable with Robbie Loomis, even though they won a championship together. He almost, it looked Jeff Gordon's spiral was happening until he hooked up with Alan Gustafson and they wound up coming back and having a great final couple of years before Jeff retired. I mean, it's one of those things. It, if you switch crew chiefs, un, except, I mean, the only one I could say is a whole different thing that Harvick and Roddy Childers, but it's a whole, Roddy Childers, but it's a whole different thing there. But most every driver crew chief combination, it's been successful whenever they switch them up goes in the hopper and the other one that sort of fools that rule is Kyle Busch because he ran through crew chiefs like water, but it was successful with all of them. And Earnhardt, Earnhardt had a lot of crew chiefs too with Kirk Schellerdine and uh, Andy Petrie and David Smith. And then he had Kevin Hamlin toward the end of his career too. And, you know, finished second in points in 2000. So yeah, Earnhardt, a lot of crew chiefs. He was uh, Bud Moore over there at Bud Moore racing and, and won a lot of races. So, um, but you're, but in, for all intents and purposes, I mean, those, that's a different era back in the 70s and 80s. But certainly recently, you're absolutely correct. It's the chemistry. And, and Jimmy's talked about that at length before, that him and, him and Chad can sort of – they just know each other so well. Um, you know, the 83 wins and seven championships, Sean, do you think this duo in the next two years gets, gets the eighth championship? What are your thoughts? If they can get the Camaro figured out, I, think, I wouldn't rule it out because Chad's a smart guy. I still think – Hendrick is reeling from the loss of Stuart Haas. I think the feedback, I mean, the 
basically the meeting, the driver's meeting and the uh, feedback from the weekend, the competition meeting they would have on Tuesdays. I think the meeting is a hell of a lot better and you've got a hell of a lot more information going by when you have Tony Stewart, Kevin Harvick and um, Kurt Busch in the meeting along with Tony's crew chief, Rodney Childers, Tony Gibson, and then add in Jeff Gordon, Casey Kane, Dale Earnhardt Jr. You take out the Stuart Haas boys, you take out Junior Gordon and Casey Kane, and you add in William Byron, who, like we said, he looks lost a lot of times. Alex Bowman, who's a great tester and has given good feedback. And you've got Chase Elliott, who's still trying to find his way. I think the competition meetings have gone to crap at Hendrick Motorsports because they've lost a lot of brain power. And also, if you look at the shop, the shop has lost a lot. Darian Grubb's on the road again. He used to be the guy who was in charge of making sure the cars were the way they were. You look at Ron Johnson, the day he stepped foot in Hendrick Motorsports, he retired this year, got off the road, whole different car chief. I think there's some stuff happening at Hendrick Motorsports internally that just doesn't have the amount of brain power putting feedback in to give the engineers, give the crew chiefs, give the uh, car the car builders the feedback and knowledge that they need to give the best information and put the best cars together to help make sure that these drivers get what they need on Sunday. Yeah, it's very possible. And, uh, you know, my question is, and this would be to everybody, what's going to happen the rest of the 2018 season? Can Hendrick, can these Chevrolet teams figure it out with this Camaro? Can they get running better, and can they make a play to where they're going to make, they can win the championship? Because right now, it does not look that way. They've had 19 races and, and half the year to figure it out, and they're not any better than what they were when we ran Atlanta and Las Vegas and said they had an issue. So, And we came back from the West Coast and we said, well, maybe they'll figure it out here in the middle of the year. Well, guess what? They still, uh, at least the Hendrick boys, uh, we still haven't seen a whole lot of speed from them in a mile-and-a-half program. So that's very, very alarming if you pull for one of those drivers and want them to win a championship. Another I interesting – Clayton, I think the rest of the season until you hit the playoffs, because if you look, the only Hendrick team that is in danger of missing the play, well, Byron's going to miss it. Bowman is on the cusp. But Chase Elliott and Jimmy Johnson are pretty secure. I still think it's going to be a test session between now and the end of the year to try to find speed, to try to throw everything they can at it and try to get something for whenever it comes playoff time. And then if they don't, I mean, if they go out of the playoffs, I mean, I can promise you Byron's going to be a test subject. Bowman, if he makes the playoffs or gets knocked out in the first round, he's going to be a test subject. I think Hendrick is in pure test mode the rest of the year to try to hit on something. You're probably right, and um, you know, if if they feel like they got a good enough cushion in the points, I can I can agree with you on that. Another little interesting news, and I wouldn't call this news more of a rumor coming out of the garage area at Kentucky Speedway this weekend, is a rumor swirling about Levine Family Racing. Uh, they are they feel the number 95 Chevrolet currently for Casey Kane in the Cup Series. That number 95 team has engines from ECR, Earnhardt Childress engines, in an alliance with Richard with uh, Hendrick Motorsports, excuse me. Um, so when they started the year, they had Travis Mack as a crew chief. A Hendrick Motorsports guy used to be the car chief at Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s number 88 car. They got rid of him and brought in John Leonard, a guy from inside their organization that they've promoted to crew chief over there at Casey Kane. Makes you scratch your head a little bit when you hear this rumor that's come up. Now, Levine Family Racing is rumored about leaving uh, Chevrolet for next season, and the real possibility that everybody's hearing is um, Toyota. Now, this was a, the, the Sports Business Journal had it with Adam Stern. He tweeted it. Um, so, Levine Family Racing did not deny the fact that they are looking for a new manufacturer for the 2019 season, but they did not come out and say which manufacturer it would be, although all speculation is pointing towards Toyota, which makes a very interesting situation for me. Um, I think the one way you can look at it is maybe this is a way to keep Casey Kane. Um, Casey Kane, we know he's, he's a very uh, popular driver among the garage area. hasn't had a lot of success 
uh, in recent years in F5 car motorsports, and now in the 95, they've struggled to finish 20, 28th in points currently. But this could be a way to where you say, hey, we got our hands on a top-notch driver over here at Levine Family Racing. This, is the only, this could be the only time we have an opportunity to get a guy like Casey Kane in our stable. We have to do something to keep him here. And what's the one thing we can do to keep him here? Is go to Toyota and have a similar situation, a similar situation that like Furniture Racing has with Joe Gibbs Racing. We get our engines, we get our chassis from TRD, we get our engines from TRD, we get our chassis from Joe Gibbs Racing, and we work that way and try and become a second car at Furniture Racing in hopes of keeping Casey Kane in the fold. That's one scenario. Another scenario to me is looking at this and looking at a broader picture. Christopher Bell, who won the Xfinity Series race on Saturday, he's going to need a cup ride here in a couple of years. Uh, maybe even next year or the year after that, you know, the rumors were also that maybe Bell's going to run some cup races for that organization next year. Well, that would mean Casey Kane's out and that they're going to hire somebody else. Maybe they bring in Matt Kenseth to run part-time schedule and Eric and Christopher Bell to run a few races in uh, you know, in preparation for a full-time season in the 2020 season for Levine Family Racing. So a lot to digest here. Remember, it's just speculation on my part, but what are your thoughts on this whole Levine Family Racing 95 team moving to a new manufacturer in 2019? I think if I'm Levine Family Racing, the way the Chevy Camaro has been this year, the way the ECR engines have performed this year, if there's an opportunity to get Toyota in my camp, I'm all there because you look, two of the big three we talk about are in Toyotas. And Denny Hamlin hasn't run crappy. Um, Eric Jones has a win. Uh, Daniel Suarez looks like he's taking a step back in his sophomore season, but he's doing, I mean, they're doing what they need to do with the Toyotas. The Toyotas are competitive on a pretty regular basis. TRD's putting out good horsepower. The Camry's running well. Um, And if I'm, Levine Family Racing, and they've made the move this year because with Michael McDowell last year, they had a good thing going, and they swapped it up, put Casey Kane in the car, and they haven't really seen the progress. And part of it is because it looks like the Camaro has taken Chevy a step backwards. It may be the thing that saves them. I don't know. I don't think Matt Kenseth goes to Levine Family Racing to share, share, share a ride with Christopher Bell. I think he made the um, move to Roush Fenway to help Jack Roush out. And I think if he's going to drive anywhere, anytime the rest of his career, it's going to be for Roush Fenway. Um, Or he wouldn't have come back. I think Matt Kenseth would have been happy to stay in Wisconsin and cheer on the Packers if it wouldn't have been for Jack reaching out and um, doing what, I mean, asking Matt to help make our team better. Um, Part of it is they keep saying about, Christopher Bell not running a full season possibly next year. You hear Stuart Haas say that we expect our same driver lineup next year. But then you hear Kurt Busch say, we, I have not heard from Stuart Haas when it comes to contract negotiations. Christopher Bell has driven sprint cars for Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart knows Christopher Bell very, very well. Toyota only has... Five rooms at the inn right now. Toyota needs to get a sixth room or Christopher Bell could be driving a 41 car in 2019. I think it's Christopher Bell's ready. He's shown it all season long in the Xfinity series. He hasn't done stupid stuff to get him in trouble. If he's had any problems in the track, it's because either somebody's run into him or they've had a parts failure. I think Christopher Bell's ready to go. I think the other part is, you look at it, Cole Custer's not far from being ready to go. So it's a good problem to have, but if I'm Levine Family Racing, I'm looking at getting the best manufacturer possible. Teaming up with Joe Gibbs doesn't hurt, because look what it's done for Martin Truex Jr. And Martin Truex yeah, Jr., they had, that, a press conference, they had a press conference on Friday talking to him about his contract. And he said, we're probably going to end up wait till later in the year to see what sponsorship comes up because Five Hour Energy hasn't re-signed yet. Bass Pro Shops is probably still going to be there. But Barney Visser doesn't want to put his own money out anymore. He did it for a long, long time. Now that he's got a full season of sponsorship, he doesn't have Furniture Row on the car 
He's got five hour energy. He's got bad pro shop. He's got the auto insurance folks. I mean, I think Barney wants full sponsorship on that car and it's a good, a good enough car. That should have full sponsorship. And Truex is sitting there fighting for a championship and has to wait to see what kind of contract he's going to get offered at the end of the year. That shows the sad state that NASCAR's in right now. Well, especially with sponsorship, well, but I'd say this. I'd say this. I think when you look at when you look at family racing and, and what uh, they've done here and, and t- what they're going to do here for 2019, I think, man, there's so again, there's so many ways you can look at it. And if it is in fact that, I, I just don't see Casey Kane running a part-time schedule there. The only way I see Bell running part, you know, if Bell gets in that 95 car next year, is they're going to have to have somebody else run a part-time schedule in that 95 car, unless they want to run two teams, which is possible. Um, but either way, I think you look at that, at that car, if indeed, um, you know, Bell runs a part-time schedule in a, in a second car for Levine family, as sort of a placeholder for uh, Christopher Bell. Now, there's still a possibility. We heard that early in the year that um, Toyota was looking at getting, adding a, a second car at Furniture Racing, but I think that's fizzled out. And I, something interesting about TRD, they are the powerhouse engine supplier at Toyota. They had Triad there for a long while, and Triad was just garbage in the Cup Series. They could not compete, especially in a mile-and-a-half program. They seemed to be okay on the, on the shorter tracks, but when you got to the bigger tracks, even on, on restrictor plates, you know, Michael Waltrip always ran a restrictor plate race with a TRD engine because he just didn't want to deal with Triad because Triad just wasn't very good. Um, with that being said, TRD has really never gone more than six engines out of their department for an entire season. Um, you know, when it was Joe Gibbs Racing and Michael Waltrip Racing coming out of the TRD engines, get, so getting the, their engines from TRD, it was a three-car operation at Joe Gibbs Racing and a three-car operation at Michael Waltrip Racing. As soon as uh, Michael Waltrip Racing went down to a two-car operation, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing added a four car t- fourth car with Carl Edwards, and it was four, four and two. Forever this year, it's only five cars out of uh, the Toyota TRD camp with the four Joe Gibbs cars and the 78 car over there with Martin Truex Jr. So if you add a sixth team, I don't think TRD will will say we're willing to move a seventh engine and supply a seventh engine for the Cup Series and the 77 car. I don't think that's going to happen. So I think it's going to be six cars over there at Toyota next year. So it's either the 95 goes there or they add a second team in the 77. Now, I think they know what kind of talent Christopher Bell is. I'm not sure they believe he's 100% ready for the Cup Series next year, and maybe they got a little bit gun-shy looking at what William Byron's done. Well, Byron was really, really strong in the Xfinity Series, and he's come to the Cup, and he's really he struggled a little bit getting his feet underneath them. Maybe they said, well, we'll put, keep him in the Xfinity Series another year, have him run a part-time schedule, and then we'll bring him up in 2020. That's possible, and I think if Bell looks at that and says, I see my future in front of me now, guys, that 95 car at Levine Field Racing I'm going to be driving for, okay, I'll stay at Toyota. If you couldn't provide that for Christopher Bell, though, another organization would have, you would have looked at, would have been able to snatch him up, whether it was Ganassi or, as you mentioned, Stuart House Racing. Um, but I think when he looks at his future, and if he sees a ride open there at Levine Family and they got an association with Joe Gibbs, and you look at it as sort of a, well, what furniture racing has, you say, okay, I'll go there. I'll stay there. Toyota's been loyal to me throughout my career. Without Toyota, I wouldn't even be in NASCAR. I'm going to stay with Toyota. I'm going to go to the 95 car. I see my future. Yeah, I'm going to take a hit by not running this full year cup this year, but I will run and know that that rides for me in 2020. So, um, Again, I think it's a placeholder for Chris Revelle. I think that's what they're doing here. Um, unless Levine's family says, you know what, Casey Kane's our guy and signed a multi-year deal, and then Chris Revelle's sort of out there for anybody to take him. But I don't think Toyota would have done this deal without their eyes set on Chris Revelle. I think they, they, they look at Chris Revelle as, as a guy who can win some cup races in the near future, and they want to get him in a cup ride, and that 95 car is where he's going to go. That's why I threw Matt Kenseth's name out there because I don't think Casey Kane would do that. I don't think he's going to run part-time next year, and I don't think he would be a placeholder here in that 95 car. So uh, there's a lot to digest in that, uh, that move here, and um, I just think when you look at it, you say, what, what can be done? Uh, we got a caller here, Lee in Virginia. What's up, Lee? What do you want to talk about tonight? Well, I think the, the 
uh, silly season heating up is, is starting to get heated up and get interesting. And I heard you guys before referring to Pocris's article, and um, he mentioned some things in there that that you know we don't know about yet. Um, and I think with this ninety-five thing that wasn't in there, we didn't really see that coming. It could be a crazy one for sure. Um, you're making good points about what's going on with that race team right now. And um, I talked to somebody earlier in the week, and you might have mentioned this already, and he made a damn good point about Travis Mack. And maybe this is why he is headed back to where or was was left the organization. I mean, there's no question he was a guy that came over from Hendrick Motorsports. The team kind of pulled their alliance from Richard Childress Racing went and, and kind of went out on their own. They're, they also have an alliance with Hendrick Motorsports there, but they're using RCR engines. And so – um, they're kind of out on their own. Same with this 47 and the 37 teams as well. So they're setting themselves up to go wherever and give themselves some leverage here, and, and this might have some legs to it. Hey, Lee, uh, my question for you, and you've got your ear pretty much on a lot of things, um, is the 95 something that Christopher Bell would be happy with? I mean, if I'm coming up and I'm Christopher Bell, and everything I've driven is Joe Gibbs. Yeah, I'm on a satellite team of Joe Gibbs, but the 95 hasn't proven themselves yet. At least when Truex went to the 78, Kurt Busch showed that the 78 can be something special. And Truex, after the rough year with Sherry Pollux and her cancer coming back, whenever they finally, Truex had his head about him and was able to focus on the car, and they got Cole Pern in the crew chief's ball, the 78 came to life, both driving RCR stuff and then going to Toyota. If I'm Christopher Bell and I'm looking at either the 95, but not going to Joe Gibbs Racing, or the chance to go to either Stuart Haas, possibly taking Kurt Busch's spot, going to Chip Ganassi, possibly taking Jamie McMurray's spot, and not having to wait a year, what do you do? Uh, you know, I, there was a report that all four Joe, uh, that all four Stuart Haas Racing cars are coming back, drivers are coming back next year. I believe that to be true. Um, with Monster coming back as a sports as a series title ship title sponsor next year, I believe that also comes with the Monster sponsorship that's tied to Kurt Busch. So I believe he stays there at Stuart Haas Racing, um, and then at the one at Jamie McMurray, that car has not performed well either. And if you can get Christopher Bell to buy, it's performed decently. They're going to make the playoffs this year, but if you can get Christopher Bell to buy into the Toyota Brigade, if you can get if you can get him to say, hey, listen. You're not going to run as good as that 78 because you're not Martin Truex Jr., but you're a rookie driver. We can get you running up there with us. I think you're Christopher Bell. You do it. He's also, you know, signed with signed under contract with Toyota, and you may it may be one of those deals, John, where he doesn't run full time. He may only run 10 or 12 races, and whomever drives that car for the remainder of the schedule, I'm thinking a guy like Matt Kenseth, if they can get that car to run strong then the next year it'll be a lot easier to sell Christopher Bell to go to, to go full-time in 2020. Well, I agree with you. And again, I think Bell would have left and would have gone to another, or if he didn't see his future, it's hard for you as Toyota to sell Christopher Bell to a future at Toyota. When you say, well, we got four guys who are locked into a contract at, at Joe Gibbs racing. And we got a guy who's locked in. I mean, Trix isn't going anywhere at, at uh, furniture row. It's hard for him to sit there and go, so you're just going to create a ride for me? That doesn't make any sense. i got to go somewhere because I'm going to be stuck in the Xfinity Series. But if you tell him and be straight up with him and say, hey, listen, Christopher, we want you to get more seasoning in Xfinity. This 95 ride, the reason why we brought it over here and paid all this money and give it all what, it, what we needed to give it to come from Chevrolet because we want you to have it. We want it to have the same situation as Furniture Racing has it. You're our guy. We believe in you, Christopher. That is your ride, number 95. There it is. And you sit there and go, well, I've had a lot of success. Um, Phil Gibbs has been very, very good to me. And if something falls out where you talked about it earlier, John, Torres has regressed this year. He has not ran very, very good. I think Denny Hamlin, and I know Denny Hamlin's not going anywhere, but I think that Denny, Denny Hamlin's had a, had a terrible year too. I think Hamlin's just been – it just seems like they've had speed. The finishes haven't been there, and you scratch your head going, what's going on with the 11 car? Um, the 20's been okay. The 18's been great, um, but the 11 and, and, and the 19, especially the 19, has been really resting. Now, uh, he's got the sponsorship over there from ours, so I don't think that's going to change anything. But you never know what happens in five years down the road, and you'd be the next guy in line to go to, Hendrick Mo- or to, go to Joe Gibbs Racing if that's the case. So I think that is what this whole, organ- this whole thing is about. 
But Lee, do you think there's any any possibility of Levine Finley Racing that Christopher Bell isn't in this plan at all? And Levine Finley Racing says, you know what? We have a driver who's capable of winning races. He's proved it in the past, like Casey Kane has. Proved it in the past. He's a big name driver. He's got a lot of a huge following. He can sell some sponsorship for us. We want to keep him, and the only way we're going to keep him is to keep him competitive. And the only way we're going to be competitive is if we change manufacturers and go to Toyota and have a deal like Martin Truex Jr. has with Furniture Racing. Is there any possibility in your mind that that might be possible? No, and my answer to that is because what's in it for Joe Gibbs Racing, if that's the case? You know, Bob Levine's the perfect guy to do this because he's got his own sponsors. A lot of his sponsors are his business-to-business deals. If you're going to put Bell in the 77, you have to find sponsorship for Christopher Bell in the 77. You don't have to do that with the 95. So, uh, you know, if Bob Levine can – if they can, if Toyota can walk up and say to him, hey, and Joe Gibbs Racing and say, hey, you spend the same amount of money you're spending this season, you give us some of it, and you hire Christopher Bell, you're going to run better. You're going to be able to sell a little bit more sponsorship because you're going to run better, your business-to-business deals, and you're going to feel better because your team isn't performing at all right now, even with Casey Kane as the driver. Um, I think you do it if you're probably fine, no question about it. So uh, I think – but what's in it for Joe Gibbs Racing? Toyota doesn't want to create more engines. Kyle Busch is winning races, kicking rear and taking names. He's one of the big three right now. Uh, the, the subsidiary team at the 78 at, at Furniture Racing is – is right there as well, and they're, they're running strong. So they don't need this, Joe Gibbs Racing, other than the fact that they need a seat for Christopher Bell and they don't want to lose him. You never know what's going to happen in the future. Um, somebody can find a deal, something can happen, etc. RS could back out, and you're right, then they need a driver with Christopher Bell. They don't want Toyota does not want to lose Christopher Bell. Joe Gibbs Racing does not want to lose Christopher Bell, and this is the only way to keep him in the mix. So you think Casey Kane's going to be out of a ride? I think Casey Kane's out of a ride. I think he's going to go run his dirt cars and all that, all the teams that he owns, and uh, sit on his $4.5 million that that Rick Hendrick paid him this year to go drive the 95 and, uh, you know, run off into the sunset unless somebody comes walking with about a couple million bucks. You know, Jack Jack Roush says, come drive my sixth car for a million, million or two, and Casey bites the bullet and does it. Um, I don't see him ever returning to stardom. In this sport, it's just he's 38 years old. He hasn't won a he hasn't I mean he won Indianapolis last year, but he hasn't been a championship contender in four or five years. And I think everybody has soured on Casey Kane, um, and I just don't see him getting a competitive ride next year. I'm not even sure I'd put him in the one over McMurray just because you don't want to set, upset that Apple card. That car is making the playoffs year in and year out. Now they get eliminated either round one or round two, but they're at least doing that. You can put Kane in there and totally upset the Apple card and miss the playoffs, and then you're back. Then you need to make another change. John, what are your thoughts on Casey Kane? Well, I mean, the only place I could see Kane going, if um, the 95 has a built-in ride, somebody coming in, if it's Christopher Bell full-time, even though Joe Gibbs says they expect him to be in Xfinity next year, I look at it sort of like whenever Casey came up, it was in his contract that if he had, if there wasn't a home in for him, he could go where he wanted. And that's how he broke his contract with Ford to go drive for Ray Everham. I can see possibly the 47 because Dinger isn't really doing a whole hell of a lot over there. But, I mean, it's a lateral move. I mean, Casey Kane, I, mean, I think, Lee, you brought it up a lot. He might be at the point where Tony Stewart is. He's tired of not being competitive. He's tired of all the extracurriculars that go on to doing these things. He may just want to go drive sprint cars and uh, ride out to the uh, sunset. But the thing is, where right, I, I, think I, I think, I think, is, uh, I think he's done. What about John Hunter Demichek? Uh, listen, John Hunter has not had the year in Xfinity, I think, that he would have hoped and anybody else that Chip Ganassi Racing would have hoped this year. Uh, he's had a lot of problems inside that race car. He passed two wrecks the other day. I like John Hunter. I think he's got a lot of talent. But I think he realizes that this is an opportunity for him. As long as Fire Alarm Services keeps footing the bill, I think he's okay. But it's only on a part-time basis. Um, but I think he looked at it as an opportunity of, okay, this is a one-year deal. I better make sure that um, I run as strong as possible here. And I think he's overdriving quite a bit. Uh, you know, We've seen a lot of good young drivers coming through here, John, that have walked away because of non, non-funding. And the only reason why John Hunter is there, listen, he's got, all, he's got a lot of talent. He's proven he can win races. The only reason why he's there is because firearm services is, is paying the bill. Um, and, he, you know, the talent, 
doesn't help that, and it won't help that. Um, so if they can sell a sponsor for him, great. But I think with the way he's been running this year, he better hope Fire Alarm Services continues to foot the bill for 2019, and he does what he does next year and hope, hopes and prays that he figures this thing out because I don't think this year has been the year for him, and I think people that are putting him in cup are, are premature in that, and we've seen that stun a lot of guys. You know, Ryan Truex went to cup and didn't do very much. Jeb Burton went to cup and didn't do very much. Now, granted, it wasn't good equipment, but it stunted their growth, in my opinion. And, you know, Truex is now back and running pretty strong in Xfinity. Jeb Burton's career stalled out. So you got to really be careful with some of these kids moving them up too early. One of the things I, yeah, I, I mean, because I noticed that John Hunter Nemich tech on Saturday night, I mean, he actually went up, blew by Kyle Busch. Took the lead. I mean, yeah, he had a couple spots where he had a Stenhouse moment from Daytona where he caused a couple of accidents, but he should, he can drive the car. He just, I mean, he's got to control the mistakes. I mean, that's one of the things we ran into mm-hmm. with the truck series a couple years ago where Joe basically had to sit him down and say, yo, son, I'm putting a bill for this, and you just keep crashing too many trucks. You got to first, you have to finish first. First, you must finish before you can finish first. And John Hunter sort of got it, but then he's starting to his, I think he's overdriving sometimes, but I really see the talent there. And I think Chip Ganassi wouldn't have put him in Larson's car for half a year if he didn't see the talent there. It might be early, but I mean, I don't know how, how secure McMurray's going to be in that one car next year, because I mean, if you remember, there was Dale Jr. said early in the season, there's going to be a big name. that's going to walk away at the end of this year. And nobody said who it is. My guess is McMurray because he's his contract's up at the end of the year. And that car is sinking when it came to the way they're finishing. And the Camaro is still – nobody's figured it out yet. Well, McMurray also came out early in the year too and said he wants to run for at least three or four more years. You know, again, I agree with Lee. I don't think Nemechek's ready yet. I, he's, and I agree with you too, John. I think he's got a ton of skill. Uh, I think he's – you know, a, a very, very good driver, but he needs some seasoning. I think, you know, there's no doubt about that. And you're right. When his dad sat him down and says, quit tearing up my stuff, he became instantly a better race car driver. And, you know, maybe he's in a different mentality now because he's not in that same stuff and he's in with an owner that has a decent amount of money and says, I really don't care if you tear up my race, my stuff. I just want you to go out there and win. And, uh, you know, but maybe he needs to dial it down a notch. But, you know, I, don't, I didn't expect him to go out there and win a ton of races this year. It's his first year in, in these cars in the Xfinity Series. He's not running the full schedule. So I didn't expect him to go out there and uh, win a ton of races. But I didn't expect him people to be throwing him in a cup ride a year later either. You know, I just think he needs a little bit more seasoning in the Xfinity Series. No doubt about that. Lee, thanks so much for joining the show tonight. And call back again next week, please. Anytime, guys. See you later. Thanks, Lee. Thank Always you, Lee. good to talk to you. Um. Real quick, John, I want to get you last minute here. I want to get your opinion on your anticipation for this Eldora Dirt Derby on Wednesday night uh, at the Horse Speedway. Always a great show. What are you? What are your thoughts? A lot of lot of cool names this weekend with a lot of dirt series drivers out there. Dirt drivers out there. What are your thoughts, quick, on Eldora? One of the things we've learned is if you have if you are a dirt late model guy, you're not really going to do that great. The only one we've uh, really seen do well i mean we've seen larson go up there it's great that newman's going to run it i'm looking forward to it it's my it's the one race that i pencil in i circle i don't talk to the wife or kids i'm watching the race because i love dirt track racing i love it it's a special night whenever they put all of them out there at eldora they do the four wide salute to the fans like the sprint cars do i think it's gonna be a great race um and you can't pick who's going to win it because last year, Matt Crafton was one of the worst dirt drivers there ever was, but he bought himself a dirt late model. So he'd get used to slinging it around. We'll see what happens on Thursday night. I'm looking forward to it and I can't wait. I know. Me neither. It's, it, it, what makes it great is it's so unique and it's so, um, you know, just such a special night. Uh, and I love the fact that we have these heat races where people get eliminated. There's 39 trucks on the entry list this week. So that means at least six are going home, which makes those heat races so much more interesting. Um, and it's just going to be a lot of fun to watch. I can't wait for it. Uh, and, you know, you got the big names like Friesian, who runs this series full-time, who finished second last year to, to Crafton, who's definitely a favorite coming into this race. And then you got these guys who keep running these, these this race every year and have a chance to win these races. So 
I'm excited for it. I love learning, figuring out new names like Bobby Pierce, who ran the great, great a couple of years ago. It's certainly a lot of fun. John, great stuff tonight, as always. We'll see you next time here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.